to the Basement Astrologers, coming to you live from the city of destiny, Tacoma, Washington, and from wonderful Los Angeles, California. With me today is one of my favorite people in the entire world, the radiant, lovely, and brilliant Diana Rose Harper. Say hi to everyone, Diana. Hi, everyone, Diana. <laughs> Love you. Um, so, uh, besides the fact that I'm super excited to talk to Diana, uh, because if you've listened to this show pre my POTUS episodes, you know of my admiration for her, uh, we are going to do a year ahead. And there are a bunch of them, and they're all fun. Um, we decided to do it a little different. We both put in our five top aspects for the year. We're going to reveal them at the top of the show. And then we're just going to dig into it. We think that there's plenty of stuff uh, for each one, especially with what will be going on in the world during them, um, that we can have a fun conversation. Um, but before we do that, um, I want to give Diana an opportunity to introduce a couple things she has going on because her move to LA coincides with an expansion of her brilliant, wonderful business. So please, Diana, share with us uh, what you have planned for everybody. Right. So this is always a little nerve wracking. Um, so one of the wonderful things about finally being in Los Angeles is I am living in one place. I was unleashed for a year. And so that means I've been getting really excited about offering things that go beyond just like tarot readings and astrology, like, you know, natal and transit type readings. Um, one of the things that I'm really excited about that I'm working on is actually a mini consult. Um, and this is aimed at folks whose work requires that they do some level of self-presentation in the world, right? Um, also known as branding, but I know that me and lots of other people get kind of itchy and allergic whenever the concept of branding comes up. And um, I'm really excited to share this because it comes out of a dream that I had in February of this year. I have a lot of astrology dreams, um, <laughs> but I had a dream in February this year that um, was dealing with the angles, specifically the ascendant and the midheaven, and how those participate in how we show up, basically. And so I'm really excited. Um, as we are recording this, I'm been in a beta testing phase where I've been able to work with some of my absolutely most favorite people on this and they're getting wonderful results so far which is super exciting um and i'm hoping that i will be able to like really launch this and like have it be open to just the general public in like january or february of 2020 um so if you are a person which i think a lot of the people listening to this pod are themselves astrologers um, and, and people and people also. Um, but, <laughs> you know, if you're one of those people whose work means you need to show up as part of um, ensuring that your work is finding the people that want to work with it, if that makes any sense, um, then I would love to support you in doing that um, because it makes it a lot less itchy to show up whenever you're showing up in the way that your chart wants you to. Um, so that's called Work Your Angles also. I'm really happy with the title there. Um, uh -huh. And then the next thing that I am um, gearing up to launch is actually, uh, it's a free webinar. It's gonna be happening before the end of December. I actually haven't fully 100% decided on a date and time yet, um, but it's gonna be a webinar that's more aimed at people who are maybe newer to astrology, who are astro curious, 
um, and trying to figure out what it means to actually pay attention to those big shiny things in the sky and how that influences your own life. So um, it's kind of sort of an introduction to transits, but instead of talking about all of the planets and all of the possible ways that it happens, we're really just going to be focusing on the sun. Um, and I'm really, really excited about this because I personally have not seen much about, you know, just guiding people through what do, what do these like seasons, like Leo season, like what the heck does that even mean for you personally um, in a, in a well-rounded and supported fashion. So I'm very stoked about that. Um, if you sign up for my newsletter, you will get news about this more quickly, probably. Um, but by the time this pod comes out, there'll probably be a date and everything. And I'm sure Kip will put that in the show notes. <laughs> of course. Uh, I think that's great to focus on the sun. Uh, there's been this weird kind of regression where the sun's almost overlooked. Um, yeah. And I get it. I 100% get it. You need to know your ascendant and your moon just as much. And emphasizing that makes a ton of sense. <laughs> but overlooking the sun, especially living in a Western capitalistic culture, and we can complain about that all we want, and Diana and I have on more than one occasion. <laughs> um, the reality is that your sun is a focus, and there's a reason for it. Um, yep. So that's great. I think that's yeah. brilliant. Um, I'm shocked that I think that something you're going to do is brilliant. I can't believe it. Uh, <laughs> and I'm really, I'm really excited for you. And we'll um, act as an appropriate megaphone for it whenever I have a chance. Excellent. Thank you. So without further ado, uh, please, I know that I usually start with chats about, uh, with astrologers to get to know them. If, if you don't know Diana, she's been on the show numerous times. I think besides Patrick Watson, she's been on the most. So go back, listen to those. <laughs> I, I get into uh, the nooks and crannies of Diana as much as she would allow. Um, that I did not mean that as a double entendre. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just needed to clarify, ask her about her. All right, so we're going to go back and forth and just go through our top five astro events. Then we're going to loop back and just discuss them, discuss those time periods that we think might be happening at that time discuss uh, how it might affect you personally, depending on where it might fall in your chart, what, how we see it happening potentially mundanely. Um, you know, we're hoping that this is still a nice tidy hour, maybe a little longer, um, unlike that uh, three-hour wonderful monstrosity that the AstroCast put out. Uh, we're just trying to do something a little different. Um, so I'll start um, to take the edge off. Um, so my, and I listen to them in order. I picked yeah. in actual order. So number five for me, is the Venus retrograde that's going to take place between May and June. Mm -hmm. cool. that that's on list? my list too. That's on my okay. list. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So since it's on your list, unless since you don't have numbers, I'll go down. Number four, this is the one I think you might not have. Um, the July 4th full moon eclipse. You're correct. I don't have that on my list. All right, so it's yeah. your turn. What's one you, th you think I might not have? I would think the one that I'm guessing you might not have, even though it's pretty significant, is the, um, the movement of the nodes into uh, Gemini and Sagittarius. <laughs> You're correct, but I'm kind of <laughs> cheating by putting in an eclipse after it happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I consider, so we'll keep going because we're going to get into all these. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So that was four. And then for me, number three was the Mars retrograde, which I, I know we're going to talk about it, but 
it's funny that this is number three because I feel like any other year in existence, this would be number one with the bowl. Yeah. So I I have that on my list too, very much so. And actually, for me, I'm considering that two things because it's one Mars and Aries five ever, and yeah. a Mars retrograde. And I would actually like I didn't really rank, but if I were to rank, I would actually put that as number two. I. I mean, it's really hard to argue, again, especially considering when that's going to happen <laughs> and what's happening in the world when it's happening, but we'll get to it. Yeah, exactly. Um, so number two for me is uh, Jupiter-Saturn conjunction at zero Aquarius. Yeah, so what's interesting is I actually left off the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, even though it's a really big fucking deal, because it doesn't happen until the end of the year. Ooh. And so instead, I swapped in the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction in April because that will have more of an influence over the entire year than, I think, the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. <laughs> also cheating here uh, because that happens on the full moon eclipse. So, <laughs> uh, But yeah, no, I totally couldn't agree more and definitely will get into some, uh, some Pluto-Jupiter talk. Which is huge. Yeah. It's crazy that mm -hmm. Pluto Jupiter could be left off the top five list. Um, yeah. But here, here you have it. I did it. And number one, of course, Pluto Saturn. Yep. Um, Thirty-year cycle. Fantastic. What Starting off the year yeah. with with uh, I don't even. Yeah. I yeah. That's that. I think is the most. Um, it's the most prominent, and because it's at the beginning of the year, it's. Um, you know, just like from thinking about the profane calendar, right? Like it's going to be the one that people are like, yeah, 2020 started this way and it will color, you know, it's like whenever anybody's looking at an encyclopedia of the years of the American empire, like that's like a first event in the timeline in 2020. I think for sure. And with, with, um, uh, with it being the U.S.'s Pluto return. Mm -hmm. Um, so I know that we both have this ranked really high, but should we get this out of the way? Cause I feel like people have had, and they've definitely for me, a ton of Pluto Saturn talk. Is that okay with you? Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I also just want to, you know, we were talking about ranking before we even started recording. Yeah. Um, and I just want to share part of why I was a little hesitant to rank, I think in the way that you ranked. And mm -hmm. that's because like, events that happen on a global scale or like mundane transits that are significant on a global or national scale may or may not show up in a personal way, like a deeply intimately personal way, depending on what your chart's set up as. But these, like the inner planet retrograde cycles will show up in both areas, I think. Like I feel like it can feel a bit more raw. Like that like Venus retrogrades are, at least for me, like always feel real tender. And I feel like I observe people having individual life stuff more with those interplanet retrogrades. So when it comes to what's going to feel more personally personal <laughs> uh, versus what's more systemically ouchy, yeah, that's like, it makes it hard to be like, okay, so on a personal level, this will probably matter more, but on a global level, this will matter more. Like two different hierarchies. <clears throat> Don't disagree with you in any way. Yeah. Um, I guess what I would say, though, with Saturn-Pluto, 
Um, so just a uh, quick uh, run over in case people need to be caught up. So Saturn-Pluto's more or less a 30-year transit. The last time it happened was in the early 80s, kind of that, the last gasp of the Cold War, uh, when we were really revved up the military-industrial complex. Uh, and by we, I mean the United States. Dumped untold amount in it, uh, carried our first um, real um, substantial and kind of um, the kind of debt that one that a country isn't expected to really pay off. So a permanent debt was established with the goal of uh, overwhelming financially the resources of the Russians who were tied uh, with us in this Cold War duality, a, a sort of a race uh, to see who could get bigger and better. Along with that, you had, um, I'm not really sure how to put this. I'm gonna use the term fascist. Um, I'll say alt-fascist, that seems popular today to put alt in front of something. You have these alt-fascist regimes taking over in Central America and South America. Um, and I'm going to leave Africa out of this because, I'm not an expert, but it's also when you had this great number of dictators really solidifying their holds throughout Africa. Um, so just, and which led to some awful atrocities. Yeah. Uh, which were mostly ignored by the world, uh, which really seemed to only pay attention to um, getting those same countries to pay off debts, which the rest of the world heaped upon them. Um, it, it was a turning point in world history, that 1982, that, that I think is underappreciated, because especially um, in the United States, we were coming, uh, we were still getting over. Um, having a president resign, we were still focused uh, in a lot of ways on those mid to late 60s generation. Um, it, it was a time that really turned the corner on that uh, in, a, in a way that solidified, and I think that's gonna be a term that we come back to with, uh, with Pluto Saturn, solidified power structures for mm -hmm. a good stretch of time. Yeah. So, and like this brings up like one thing that I think is like a key thing to remember whenever we're talking about like global transits and like the experience of them, which is that like whatever is happening on a systemic level, a national level, a global level does have personal impacts, right? Like that whole thing of like the personal is political and the political is personal, like it's real and it's true. And it's not that those big events don't touch personal lives. It's more like in the moment of those events happening, like what is like the felt sense of it? Does that make I, sense? I, yes. Yeah. Anyway, I know we're not, we're not actually arguing about this, but I just want to like say this, especially for listeners that are just like, well, I mean, what about all of those people that were under like dictatorial regimes? Like they felt that personally, didn't they? <laughs> especially the ones that were like brutally murdered as a part of like regime establishment and things like that. So I guess it's, a, it's important to point out, and I think Dana Lynn Knuckles, um, the People's Oracle, does a really good job of pointing out like, you know, is that whatever. how you pronounce her last name, Knuckles? I think so. I mean, I've met her several times, but I've actually never said her name with her. Dana, I really like that. I really like that last name. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, she's incredible. She's so fucking smart. And like, you know, one of the things that she really points out is like so much of the astrology that gets talked about in the like kind of American bubble of astrology mm-hmm. or like the, I don't know, um, empire bubble <laughs> could maybe be a more expanded way of thinking about it. Um, you know, it's not necessarily considering like how these sorts of transits are impacting people that are extremely disadvantaged and extremely like significantly oppressed by things like political regimes, um, like environmental devastation, like all of the other ways that these things impact people on an individual level. So oftentimes when we're talking in a space like a podcast, we're not necessarily talking to people that are facing um, like intensification of droughts in the sub-Sahara. Like we're talking to people who like live next door to us and so aren't necessarily personally experiencing some of the worst things. That is exactly perfect. So what I would say is that the when you talk about these huge global transits and, and Pluto, uh, Saturn is it. I think that there are people who acutely feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, that those are the people who at the border had their children ripped from their arms. Right. Um, and, and we could go on and on. And I don't need to turn this into a, a, you know, me marching down the street with my red banner right now. Um, and I think that if you think of it that way and think of the acute um, terror mm-hmm. and the, the, the nodal point of the oppression. And those are terms what, like really acutely associated with um, Saturn, Pluto. And, and then you, in kind of a utilitarian way, you measure that against kind of that shared emotional resonance yeah. of a Venus retrograde. I would mm-hmm. argue that, that one could put more weight on that, you know, yeah. The 5,000 children torn from their parents' arms who are now being adopted out throughout the United States. Right, um, without consent. What, yeah, they were kidnapped, yeah. just taken away. So I'm not in any way trying to dunk on you. That's yeah. not, okay, just so that's clear. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get that. I guess I'm just thinking more in terms of like the people who are most likely to be listening to this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, so what I would encourage them is yeah. twofold. One, um, you can, one can adjust one's perspective. Mm-hmm. And understand that those acute, terrible things are taking place, and, and we we can we can view history through the trotting of the proletariat. I I work hard to do that. I think that's yeah. important. Um, can be using Marxist terms, um, <laughs> but I don't. I I also agree with you that if someone's consuming this podcast, they've probably heard a ton of Saturn Pluto talk, which is why I thought it was okay to start with it. Um, and they might not realize that we're having a really long uh, Venus retrograde in the middle of summer and it's going to fuck everyone's shit up. Yeah. It's like we're having the Venus retrograde and then like right afterwards we're getting into the Mars retrograde because the Venus retrograde, let's see, the Venus retrograde ends just before Mars enters Aries. Yeah. So it's not like we even get a break. <laughs> and it's just, I don't know, this this year is going to be so challenging like it's going to be very challenging in multiple ways and like i know that there are astrologers that are like let's not let's not spook people let's not make people be afraid but it's just like you know if you're going into a hurricane season and hurricanes have been getting worse and worse 
you don't want to pretend like it's going to be a regular old category one. That's going to be how you set yourself up for like true devastation. Like, I don't know. Like I think about like thinking about astrology as weather patterns. If you know it's going to rain, you wear different shoes. If you know it's going to hurricane, you know, maybe you go to the grocery store earlier instead of later. <laughs> like, I mean, we're kind of at that point where people sort of needed to have the plywood all cut out for their windows already. Yes. I mean, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. I agree with everything you said. It's uh, completely valid. Uh, so um, a couple of the things I would like to bring up about this specific transit, and I'm going to talk a lot of politics because that in a lot of ways is the lens through which I view the world, but also because I've been doing that Otis series, so it's right. It's fresh. Um, you know, you see these patterns of um, systemic justice. Nur the Nuremberg trials, for people who aren't familiar, that's when uh, the Nazis were tried in the uh, the World Court. Um, took place during a Pluto-Saturn conjunction, um, and, and we're seeing some aspects of people being held accountable you know we had the impeachment vote and uh you know there's zero question that we're in it's not uh, exact but we're in the uh saturn pluto conjunction right now um one of the things that uh has me worried as someone who is not a fan of our current and I'll, i think the term regime has never been more appropriate for an american government the current regime is that the left seems to um, not, it's not that the left hasn't picked an avatar um, for themselves, kind of a, a champion to fight for their cause. Um, it's like they haven't decided that one is necessary. Um, and so it's like we're walking into a battle and rather than deciding, no, we need to pick the best champion because someone's going to have to step up they've decided to like interfractionally combat because they all want their little tribes avatar to be the one that gets to be the champion. Yeah. So if anything has me worried, it's that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is as you're saying that is um, thinking about the adherence to hierarchy that has been a dominant theme throughout Western history and kind of Ooh, like, like any, any sort of top down government style um, which even though we're technically a democracy, it's still like pretty top down. <laughs> oh, um, and, you know, looking at where this is happening and especially alongside the fact that the South node is still present in Capricorn, when this happens, Jupiter will have just passed over the South node. Um, Mercury will have just passed through like the sun, Pluto and Saturn when this happens and the sun itself is approaching Pluto and Saturn which um like this is just making me think about like what aspects of um mass level government are being shredded yeah and i think this is one thing like i don't like the left is not doing this on purpose <laughs> but i think one of the stories that's playing out is you know on on the republican side we have the here's our leader this is the leader right Right, which you know is fraction like it's 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 disintegrating to a certain degree too, right? And then on the left, it's just like here are all of these possible leaders. So there's sort of a dispersal of 
um, there's like a dispersal of loyalty, a dispersal of commitment to singularity. And thinking about this, like, you know, this is something that we can philosophize about a lot, but like, again, I am not a political scientist. I'm just somebody that looks at patterns. Um, but I think there's actually something really juicy to consider about this kind of moment of crumble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, within the crumble, there are going to be people that are still clinging to the idea of towers. And also, do we actually need those towers? Which is not necessarily something that like, I'm saying yes to one side or the other, but I think that's something we can observe happening as like the, dem, like, the democratic clusterfuck continues. I love this. this. Sorry. I love this. Yeah. And what I, what I would say um, would make me very hopeful or does make me hopeful are some of our leaders who get it. And the first one I'd point to is Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams, who I like so much, mm-hmm. gets it. Stacey Abrams said, yeah, I could run for president. Um, you know, I, the left adores me. But you know what's even more important than that? Getting people registered to vote because people are effing with that right. Yeah. And, and, that, and she's like, don't even talk to me about this running for president thing. Do you want to talk about me registering people to vote? Because that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And Beto, who dropped out early for good reason, um, is doing the same thing in Texas. Those are the things where we take that idea of dispersal of power. Yeah. I don't think people understand um, how much authority an individual could gather in their town if they just ran for their city council. Mm-hmm. That the way in which our democracy was first established was from the bottom up, yeah. locally. And, and people couldn't even talk to each other. If you were in a town 30 minutes apart, like you might see your neighbors um, you know, once a month. Like you didn't know it was happening. You needed local representation. Those structures are in place. You could go and join right now and make a huge impact where you live. You don't, everything isn't the news cycle from a top-down perspective. The Republicans seem to get more in on that earlier in the decade. And I don't want to go into how that I mean, they've been doing it since like the seventies, but yeah, we don't have to go into that. (laughs) Right. It got really bad at the turn of the, like when we, when Obama was elected, the left was like, oh, it's all taken care of. Now we're, we're done having to work on anything. Like I'll keep donating to my, you know, niche charity and, and that's it. it. But again, we don't, I don't want to go down that road. Yeah. Um, so these local efforts are impressive to me. The mm-hmm. other thing, the, the, the angle I want to take at this and please, uh, I don't want anyone jumping on top of me is the thing that killed me about Bernie's last run was Bernie wasn't a Democrat. He didn't take the time to get people to work within the democratic party. What people who complained about the outcome didn't realize is there is no group more open to having you show up and then take over than your local Democratic Party. (laughs) It's mostly old people who are just there because that's where they go and drink coffee. Like if you showed up in a month, you'd be like the chair of your community Democratic Party. And then you'd be a delegate in your state. And 20 minutes later, you could be a national delegate. I mean, I'm talking like six to eight months here. And I'm 100% serious. The idea of getting out of your house and getting away from your keyboard and getting involved is still 100% an opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about that dispersal, when we talk about 
letting the tower in some ways crumble, but maybe taking that authority that yes. gets dispersed and, and making your own amulet with it and getting involved personally. I hope it's, we're seeing some of that. Yeah, it's kind of like a redistribution of wealth, but understanding wealth is actual participation in the world. And this is one of those things that then brings up these other questions of like, do you have actually sufficient um, spare time essentially to devote Big to time. these things yeah. and if you have spare time in general are you willing to sacrifice your hobbies in order to be participating in this collective re-empowerment sort of situation because um, like if you're working five jobs to keep your kids fed and like in a building that's one thing if you're working one job that's maybe exhausting but you come home and you like play video games or like you know you're obsessed with your I, like, how can I say this? Like, you know, you, you have the things that occupy your time that aren't necessarily actually that important if you want to be giving to the world. You're fighting the meme wars on Twitter mm -hmm. when you could be at a meeting or blocks from your house. Yeah. This is one of the things that I think um, Nicholas P, Sparkly, Sparkles of Gold or whatever, Sparkly, whatever. I forget his handle. Um, you know, this is something he harps on about. He's just like, are you going to get out there yet? Are you going to get out there yet? Are you going to get out there yet? And it's just like, okay, Gen Xer. But <laughs> it's true. It's real. Um, so I, uh, just a brief aside, then we can move on. I have, uh, I had the privilege of serving as a team leader in AmeriCorps NCCC. Uh, anyone under the age 24, you still have a year of eligibility left. Get your ass out there. Um, really great. I'm a big service guy. Tons of Virgo in my chart. Mm -hmm. And there were all these amazing women who were team leaders, most of whom are whip smart and have already had experience getting active. And I, I've been off Facebook for a little more than a year now. Um, but when I was still on it, a lot of them would post. Like, I am abhorred. You know, it's a picture of them with their knitted hats and they went to D.C. Great. And I'd be like, run for office. It would be my whole commentary. Like, run for office. Run for office. Like, you're super smart. You're exactly who we need. Run for office. Um, so that's my soapbox for yeah. uh, <laughs> and I was, I think this honestly kind of takes us into the Jupiter-Pluto. All right. Which is, you know, if Pluto-Saturn is, like, deep... Um, really gross composting and concentration of um, both corrupt and just like raw power. Structures of authority. And structures of authority, absolutely. Yeah. Jupiter comes in, Jupiter and Capricorn, which, you know, that's not super joyous Jupiter, but it's Jupiter that's like hands in the dirt. Jupiter with hands in the dirt with a Pluto element, like that's like, can we, can we find some gold nuggets here? Um, and I think one of the things, like, I'm not going to say that Jupiter-Pluto is like an optimism transit, <laughs> right? But I do think that there's something here of like actual perception of what is possible when power is claimed instead of rejected. And like, you know, oh, I want to put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> like depending on who you are this is great or for the collective or this is horrible for the collective and so i think for those people that want to do great positive life generating like new positive structure building it's time to get your hands in the fucking dirt and recognize that you do have more power 
than you are used to perceiving, right? Like, I just remember, I remember even in like, like back in 2008, like with the, the Obama election, uh-huh. right, of just being so virulently pissed off about those people who are like, whatever, your vote doesn't matter, like, you're just one person. And it's just like, do you have any idea, like, like how many single atoms make you up? And like, you know, yeah, any one of them could leave and you'd be fine. But if all of them were like, I quit, you wouldn't exist, dude. <laughs> um, and I think that's kind of like when I'm thinking about hope points, right? Or like what is possible within the struggle struggle bus festival <laughs> of 2020? That's one of them. It's like get your like actually be like I can find good things here and I can build good things. And even if the only thing I'm bringing to like this new like you know this new building is like a single rock that I could carry because I don't have a truck to you know bring in three tons of bricks. Like your rock matters. <laughs> it does. <clears throat> so this is a point um the uh pluto jupiter aspects are when financial astrologers uh, encourage opportunity so yeah. these are the types of things we look for in stocks that mm-hmm. we want to go long on um i say we like i've ever done that <laughs> um so I, I use the analogy with palace about mushroom hunting and mm-hmm. about the difference between jupiter and sagittarius being just a a year where it rains just the right amount and the temperature is perfect. Every time you go out there, mushrooms everywhere. Your only job is to make sure you don't eat one that'll kill you. Whereas Jupiter and Capricorn is now you need to know the cycles. You need to know the temperatures. This isn't the rain. It either rains too much or too little. There are going to be mushrooms out there, but it's going to take work to find them. And you can still prosper and have more mushrooms than you need to eat. Um, But you just need to, you need to know the lay of the land and, and get your hands dirty. Right. When I see this uh, Pluto-Jupiter transit, I see the opportunity for prosperity. What I would encourage people to understand about it um, is that this is, if you think of like the gold rush, okay? There were a few uh, prospectors who struck it rich or found a vein. The people who really made money were the people who were selling picks and axes. Right. So find the place where you can sell shovels and gunny sacks for all the people who are rushing in to go out and make their fortune in a gold streak. Right. Because everyone needs a pick and axe. Right. And I think what's important here is to like also remember the metaphorical uses of that kind of like, you know, like thinking about wealth, like one of the things that, um, one of the things that I think about a lot <laughs> is um, like forms of feeling wealthy that don't necessarily have to do with finances. And like, this isn't to say like, you know, you should not worry about your finances or you shouldn't consider finances. Like money is how we understand value in this socioeconomic system. So money itself is not the problem when it comes to like, what's wrong. It's like, who has who is being a really mean dragon about it and <laughs> hoarding in a way that is not facilitative of like the general, um, the general abundance and prosperity of the land around. Like there's a reason why the desolation of smog is like a wasteland, right? Um, when it could be a prosperous, a prosperous field. 
anyway. <laughs> so thinking about like wealth and power and how tied those things are within this current socioeconomic reality, which is sometimes you can grab power more easily than you can grab money. And sometimes you can grab money more easily than you can grab power. Either way, Pluto Jupiter is, are you going to grab it? And are you going to be wise about how you're grabbing it and how you're using it? Especially in Capricorn, right? Yeah. So, so using it as part of the structure. Right. As opposed to, you know, if this was taking place in Sagittarius, it would be like throwing it up in the air. Right. Uh, so I, I agree with you 100%. I, I think this is another thing the left is going to have to come to grips with when the general election starts up. Because mm -hmm. even if, um, there's this, uh, I, I watched a bit of the debate last night with the kids because I don't, I don't let them watch, consume too much media, um, but I also don't want to isolate them from it. Right. So, you know, before we jumped into Willow, which was a hit, by the way, mm -hmm. um, we watched some of the debate. Uh, Andrew Yang charmed my daughter by pointing out that we should have more women in charge because if we leave men alone, uh, they tend to be idiots. So she's like, I want him to be president. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, at some point, having enough resources to properly compete is going to be a big deal. Yeah. Uh, so the, the meme from last night's debate was Pete Buttigieg in a wine cellar or whatever, wine cave, I think it was. Uh, making, you know, dragging Pete for, um, for getting big donations. When the general starts, even if these candidates, whoever, if it's Bernie, um, there are going to be ads run by super PACs that are going to get giant checks from God knows who uh, that are going to run ads against Trump and for Bernie. Um, and I, I, I wouldn't, I don't know how Bernie would deal with that, but there's nothing he can do to stop it either way. Right. Um, I couldn't be more in favor of a constitutional amendment, uh, getting rid of Citizens United and publicly funded elections, but that's not where we're living now. Right. So this idea of understanding how the power structure functions and then being the one who can leverage it correctly and for the right reasons are just themes that are going to be incredibly important this next year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also for our listeners, I think it's important to point out. So the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction, um, we actually have two of them in 2020. The first one is on April 4th. Um, and that will be at 24 degrees, 53 minutes of Capricorn. <clears throat> And then the next one is on uh, November 12th, like the next exact one that's at about 22 degrees, 51 minutes. But then, you know, Jupiter and Pluto will be very near to each other for a huge swath of the year. So it's um, like, just like with the Saturn-Pluto conjunction, like we've been in that for like all of 2019 <laughs> to a certain degree and to a certain degree we've been in it ever since saturn entered capricorn in december 2017 if we consider sign-based aspects to be relevant which i think they are um especially so, because capricorn is saturn sign yes exactly and so you know basically ever since jupiter entered capricorn which was december 2nd 2019 up until he leaves capricorn which Right now I am blanking on the date, but it's in 2020, <laughs> at the end of 2020. Um, you know, this is Jupiter-Pluto season. This is a Jupiter-Pluto season. 
Um, but those exact points um, next year are in April and November. And so therefore also participating in all of this year. <laughs> so what I would um, <clears throat> just like to point out, and I'm gonna try to do this consistently, I'm not always good at this, uh, but if you have <clears throat> the cardinal signs on the angles, so we have Capricorn, we have Aries, we have um, Cancer, and we have Libra, or you have one of the luminaries, the sun or the moon, or one of those signs. These transits are going to be extremely acute for you, especially if you have one of those things, your ascendant, your descendant, your sun or your moon, in that last decan of Capricorn. Mm -hmm. uh, these, are, these are really going to be a stark personal influence. Um, on this next year ahead for you. Uh, and we're, we're hopefully uh, Diana can, uh, can police me a little bit when we get to some of the retrogrades, because again, I'm not fantastic at making it personal. Um, so I think that was some great um, Pluto-Jupiter talk. Um, <laughs> pick those times to buy some stock. Um, yeah. Which, like, I think that's another important thing to remember. The last time we had a Pluto-Jupiter conjunction was in 2007 which is prior to the 2008 bullshit. <laughs> so if you are the kind of person that can be like, I'm going to have X number of dollars available to buy the stocks of companies that need to continue existing whenever those stock prices fall, like now's the time to do that, to like get ready to do that. Um, which yeah. is interesting. I never thought that I would ever recommend that to people, but I've been doing a lot of, I have a first house of, of Capricorn, <laughs> right? My ascendants in Capricorn. So I've been getting personally hit by a lot of this stuff, including renegotiation and reconfiguration of how I understand the, um, the role of money in my life and what it means to plan around it and what it means to actually accept that it is a part of reality instead of a really annoying thing that I wish I didn't have to think about. So, Or the root of all evil, which maybe it is, but you don't get to make that choice. I like, also, okay, so side note, I am pretty sure, like I personally have the, the, the opinion, I should say, that that idea, like money is the root of all evil, is one of the most useful tools of oppression <laughs> that has ever been wielded because if you can keep people thinking that they are spiritually superior by being poor in a society where poverty also means you get to get um like you have fewer rights essentially like not to say everybody needs to like go out and buy yachts in order to prove that they like prove their worth there's a difference between like financial stability and abundance and um, conspicuous consumption. But if you think that money is the root of all evil, think about who told you that and who that idea serves, because I'm pretty sure it's not gonna be you and the people you care about. Uh, there anyway. was a, gr there's a great <laughs> Carolyn Casey uh, line mm -hmm. from a talk she gave where she said, my parents, demanded that I marry well because I was going to be an astrologer and make no money. I showed them I married the poorest man I could find. That, <laughs> that taught them a lesson. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that was some great uh, Jupiter-Pluto talk. Those are going to be themes. Um, acute abundance um, uh, in a, a re-understanding of those uh, themes of justice, prosperity, open optimism. 
uh, the dispersal of opportunity. Uh, now I want to get to something that's taking place when both Jupiter and Pluto are at 23 Capricorn, and that is the 4th of July yeah. eclipse. Yeah. Um, so this takes place on the 4th of July, uh, 7.58 uh, a.m. Actually, I think it's like 20 minutes after that to get it exact. On the East Coast, or uh, on the West Coast, we're both West Coasters, um, which puts the eclipse right in our first house on the West Coast. Um, I think that this is a particularly pronounced eclipse, even if it isn't, you know, it, it's a really light one. Uh, the eclipse previous to this, the new moon eclipse is right on the south, the north node. The reason I think this is so important is number one, it's just two weeks after the last eclipse, which means where the window is potent. Um, but also it's on the 4th of July. So the um, resonance of this is going to be widely felt. We're going to be in the middle of an extremely contentious um, presidential campaign. We're going to ha have a preview of, because Mars is already in um, Aries at this point, and since we're talking about two cardinal points, uh, Capricorn and um, Cancer, Mars is going to be forming a whole house square to these two placements. Um, and we have such a pileup. So we have the moon, Jupiter, Pluto conjunct, Saturn has moved back into Capricorn from its dalliance in Aquarius. And then opposite, we have uh, the sun and also uh, Mercury. So the intense level of um, planets on this um, Saturn Cancer um, axis is huge. This is also taking place after the, um, the nodes move out. And so to a certain extent, this axis point, this Capricorn to the house, Cancer, the stuff inside the house, um, Capricorn where we get resources, Cancer how we nurture with them. Um, this has been taking place, this axis with, with the nodes influencing it, taking stuff away with the south node from Capricorn, adding stuff to Cancer. So we're also going to get kind of a reset on this entire um, lunation process. Uh, and again, with it being on this symbolic Saturday, the 4th of July, um, all of the campaigns will have candidates at this point. I assume Trump is going to, again, spend federal resources on a campaign event that he'll call um, you know, a celebration. Um, it's really going to be an acute display that we're going to hear about um, that this whole two week, every two weeks of the entire summer are all going to be bonkers. But I think this is going to be a particularly bonkers time. Um, your thoughts? I, I think I put the chart up. I hope you can see. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. No, I can see it. Um, so I guess, like, I, I know that in general for eclipses, the sign, um, the sign boundary matters mm -hmm. a bit less. Yeah. But I think that while there might be a lot of show, there's going to be less substance to whatever the show is with this particular eclipse. And if anything, especially when we consider like the south node moving into Sagittarius, right? So the nodes move into Gemini and Sagittarius on May 4th. Mm -hmm. um, so two months prior to this eclipse. Um, like, I think that it's going to be a show that is like an, a, like a, um, a 
that gives us an opportunity <laughs> to extract some of the false faith that has been um, propping up a lot of the American machine. Can you uh, unpack so, that? Yeah, so South Node in Sagittarius, right? So exiting, like the, the exit point for Sagittarian things. So philosophies, optimisms, um, beliefs, um, other kinds of buoyant, fiery Jupiterian things. Jupiter, ruler of the South Node, is in Capricorn, conjunct Pluto and in orb to Saturn when this happens, and technically also in orb to the moon, um, if we give that a, you know, generous 10 degree-ish orb, right? Which is fair um, with Luna, she moves fast. Yeah, she moves fast and like, you know, the sun's over there being like, hi. Um, <laughs> so I think there's a disillusionment happening here, which I, as, um, I can't remember what Astropod it was because I feel like I listen to them in fits and starts. I'm not a good podcast listener these days. Um, but um, Austin and Kelly were having a conversation about how like disillusionment doesn't necessarily mean that you're seeing reality. Like you swap one false illusion potentially for another that's just on the other side of the spectrum of, of, of things and kind of missing the truth that's in the middle. Um, and so, you know, it's like, as we've seen with Trump, where he will do these displays that are actually real sad. You know, and I think there's space here for that ugh, to be happening on an even deeper level. I love how you put that because I, I full on don't know who the candidate's going to be. There are a couple of people who really line up um, with the astro weather in their charts, mm -hmm. uh, but, but I couldn't pick. Um, that is the tact I hope they take. Oh, oh, isn't that sad? trying really hard yeah oh, right pity yeah yeah, yeah. Right? pity that is what should be heaped upon him um, none of this like oh i'll show you that i can be as big of a dumbass yeah it That's doesn't not... make like if you're actually like if you're a black belt it doesn't make sense to take um to take a child seriously whenever it comes to battle right um <sighs> or if you're um Man, I, I wish I could think of a good uh, analogy for um, being calm, cool, and collected. But but this is the we're in a Saturnian period. Mm -hmm. So so being steely, being mm -hmm. uh, not not dismissive as much as you have a great uh, sense of humor in the, in the uh, well, which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> in that you, uh, it's it's very um, coy. Uh, it's it's not Jupiterian. It's more uh, Capricornian. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's it's. I don't want to use the term dad joke, but you can be punny. Um, <laughs> it's more demure, and that's 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 how this needs to go because you can't um, you can't match his level of BS. Like there's no. It's a bottomless pit. Right. It's so like you, you to, cannot you cannot be in integrity and also match that level of bullshit. It's no way it could be there, I can't think of like maybe FDR. <laughs> There's not an FDR is not running. Yeah. Not here. He's not here. As um, far as I know. Yeah. 
it's interesting because like whenever I was looking at the list of uh, eclipses for next year, um, you know, there are some juicy ones, but the one that I was paying more attention to was actually the Cancer, um, the Cancer lunar eclipse on June twentieth. Yeah. Um, because that one's a lot, like it's a much closer, like it's a precise eclipse, right? So within a degree of the nodes, um, and it's to a large degree concluding the Cancer Capricorn axis time we've been in. It's also right on top of uh, Liz Warren's son, like Ooh. dead on top of it. Yeah. Ooh, interesting. Um, I, I think as eclipses go, that's more potent. I just thought symbolically with this being the 4th <laughs> of July, this is a really particularly pronounced one. Again, kind of like yeah. that Mars retrograde, which I think we're heading towards. <laughs> um, any other year, I mean, this, just this full moon, like this is a crazy potent full moon, uh, yeah. much less being, you know, right around 15 degrees from uh, a node. So yeah. let's get to the nodal switch. I know that was one you picked. Yeah. So that one, you know, we will back up in time a little bit to talk about this one. So this is on May 4th. This is when, um, like for listeners who are maybe less familiar, the nodes, are always retrograde. <laughs> they are always moving backwards through the zodiac relative to the other planets. Um, so whenever they enter a sign, they enter within the 29th degree rather than entering at the zeroth degree. Um, so we've had, you know, these past 18-ish months with, like by the time the nodes move, with the nodes in the Cancer Capricorn axis, which has been part of why all of this bullshit in Capricorn has been extra heavy, <laughs> right? And it's heavy in the way that like a very full diaper is heavy because it's the south <laughs> node that's in Capricorn. Um, so as the nodes switch, they're going to be moving off that Cancer Capricorn axis. There's gonna be a little, I think there's gonna be some relief that comes with that, like a sensation of Ooh, being able to breathe a little bit. But again, as I was mentioning earlier, Jupiter will be ruling the south node, right? The south node will be in Sagittarius and Jupiter is in Capricorn. So that's, there's still a through line of uh, themes from this past clusterfuck of time with <laughs> those nodes in that Cancer Capricorn axis. Um, People with placements in mutable signs, so Sagittarius, Gemini, Virgo, and Pisces, like now it's your turn <laughs> to feel some of this stuff, particularly if you have your ascendant or your midheaven in any of those mutable signs, your chart is now up for evaluation in a nodal way. Um, but I think, you know, this, this is going to be... Um, this is an intensifier of what's going to happen with the Venus retrograde in Gemini. Um, and I don't know, it just, it brings in um, a more conversational tone to the sky, I think, right? Because Gemini, chatty, social, air sign, Sagittarius, philosophizing, chatty, fire sign. Um, both of these signs, along with, you know, Virgo and Pisces, like this is the interest in the transition. 
um, versus interest in the building or interest in the like maintaining that the mutable or that the uh, cardinal and fixed signs carry. Um, and I think this is going to be this is going to open up space for um, compromises, like necessary compromises, um, in positive ways and I think also in negative ways, right? Um, potentially a little bit of decision fatigue. <laughs> um, this is appropriate given what's happening with the upcoming election. Also information fatigue. We're gonna, yeah. the indoor, data fatigue. the place yeah. where things come. Yeah, right. All this data. And then in the big picture side of things, hopefully we're get, what we're getting is a better, more simplified view. Um, Hopefully we're getting these echoes from the past, the South Node, that reminds us that history has a, a through line, that, that these events have taken part, this all happened before. Mm -hmm. What I hope we don't get with the South Node in Sag is, uh, big ideas and, and philosophy. I just, I just don't have it in me for that. Loss of faith. Right, great right? way to put it. I, yeah. I just want more information. Like I'm really, and this is my first house, by the way. So congratulations to me. Get a yeah. big fat uh, Venus retrograde and the North Node moving through my first house with a bunch of, uh, a bunch of uh, eclipses that come with it. So here we go. So cute. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, and to me, this feels big in part because it's moving off of my axis. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm excited for that. Just like, oh, thank God. Um, I mean, it's not going to be going into a cute place, but it's not on my axis anymore, um, or on my ascendant, my ascendant descendant axis, at least. Um, but it, like, to me, this is a, it's a, it's a total shift that um, will characterize the next, you know, year and a half after that shift occurs, and. I think that's, um, it's a shift that I think people are wanting, right? I feel like nodes and mutable signs will ideally <laughs> make it a little bit easier to make space instead of just being productivity oriented, which I think is a cardinal sign thing in general, especially whenever we have nodes and cardinal signs. So. One thing, uh, last thing, um, Arthur had a post on, Lip and Bones is his uh, Twitter handle, uh, had a post on this idea of the South Node leaving Capricorn and some of those repercussions that come along with Saturn. Mm -hmm. um, some of these karmic, you did it the wrong way, now you have to uh, get your comeuppance. Mm -hmm. Some of those have been muted by the South Node being in Capricorn, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, in traditional Hellenistic uh, theory, the idea was the South Node took away power, both from the benefics, so making a benefic less powerful, but also the malefics. So mm. Saturn should have been there to add structure and discipline. With the South Node co-present, it was just taking away a lot of that opportunity. Right, um, or like being leaky in some way, where it's just like, um, like the, like instead of just being like, oh, you're grounded for six weeks, it's you're grounded for six weeks and you don't have internet access. <laughs> or, or with it there, you're grounded for six weeks, but grandma's coming for four days in the middle. So obviously. Yeah. 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 Treats. Yeah. Um, 
So that's one thing, one, one way to look at these shifting too, is that things are going to be taken away from cancer um, and, and taken away from Capricorn. So pay attention to where that falls uh, in your own life, especially with the nodes, uh, I would say more in those houses. You have Capricorn and Cancer than even where we had aspects, unless those aspects were acute at some point. So up next is the Venus retrograde. So I'm going to pull up some stats on the computer. Why don't you um, start out, please, uh, by giving us your impressions? Right. So Venus retrograde in Gemini, she will be in kind of the degrees of her retrograde from April 10th to July 30th. Is that correct? Gosh dang. Um, so we get Venus retrograde. So that's with the shadow. That's with the shadow, right. Exactly. So we get Venus retrogrades like every two-ish years. Oh, yep. You're right. Right? And they will happen in the same sign in eight-year cycles, right? So we want to think back to... Almost to the exact degree. Yeah. So we want to think back to 2012. What was happening in Gemini season, essentially? Um, Gemini Cancer season a little bit of leo um in 2012 that will tell you some information about how gemini gemini venus retrogrades feel for you as a human person um and also kind of will create an a story whose chapters like open and close in that eight-year cycle um venus uh, retrograde in gemini like so venus retrograde in general is um a it's all those re words right but around themes of how we relate to people how we connect with other people in gemini it's how we converse with people like how our words are a participant in our connections in our interconnections whenever it's retrograde it's kind of like a mercury retrograde and that we're going to trip over our words and maybe say things that we shouldn't have said <laughs> or say things we didn't mean to say yet or say things that we didn't even realize needed saying. Um, but in my experience, words can be extremely, you can't take back words, right? And so with Venus retrograde and Gemini, what words are gonna come out that you might end up wishing had never emerged? I like both of those things. Um, <clears throat> I want to peg on here that if we're going to take this as an opportunity to work on things, uh, Gemini has everything to do with communication, take in information, export it. I, I would love to offer people the opportunity to change the way they communicate mm -hmm. to make it yummier, to yeah. make it um, a way that's more inviting, sticky, bringing things together. Uh, we're at a point where there's legitimately people who don't talk to each other anymore for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of it has to do with social media, frankly. This would be a great time, this upcoming Gemini season, um, to decide you're going to make how you communicate more inviting, more welcoming, um, more creating a dialogue as opposed to an argument. Um, mm -hmm. Being productive, not, not uh, hey, Venus can stand up um, for what she believes in. That's not in question. But to do it in a Libran way of 
Yeah. And I would say, I would say like, I think for some people that like creating that balance, like, you know, Gemini is a double bodied sign. Libra is also to a certain degree, double bodied. I don't know if it's technically double, double bodied, but it like the, the symbol for it has two bits with something in the middle. Right. And, um, thinking about, um, balance, it's like for some people that balance is, yeah, maybe you'd stop being such a prickly asshole. And for other people that balance is stop letting people walk on you. Can you have boundaries around what you're going to talk about with who and why? And can you understand that those boundaries are an integral part of having the sorts of relationships that will be mutually nourishing that some part of you wants, even if you're struggling to achieve that. Um, so yeah, I agree. It is an opportunity to reconsider um, past choices, um, past connections, past communications, past forms and ways of communicating. Um, but other things you hear yeah. about for this type of event for a Venus retrograde is emails, texts from ex-lovers, especially ones that you may have had eight years ago. That's a little different for me than maybe some of the listeners. Um, I'd go back eight years, go back eight years again to the type of overall life patterns that were happening. They are going to resonate. Um, so for that, you know, it's going to be happening between May and June. Um, be ready for it. And, and those are the periods I would look back eight years towards um, kind of that um, late spring uh, that took place in 2012 and then 20, 2004. Uh, in this instance, we have the mutable houses. So when we're talking about mutable houses, we're talking about Sagittarius, uh, Gemini, Virgo, Pisces. If you have those on the angles, going to be important to pay attention to this because it's going to be uh, happening really acutely in a part of your life. In addition, with this Venus retrograde, if those houses that house Venus's signs of Taurus and Libra, um, you know, if those are at an angle, that's a big deal, but even more important are those luminaries. So if you have a, a yummy Taurus moon, um, you're going to be revisiting themes uh, that took place in a, in a communicative way. Uh, maybe pull out a stack of like your favorite cookbooks. Um, same with Libra. This is a big period of time for deliberation, for going over how we came together in the past, how we negotiated in good faith um, so that it was a win-win. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think the, the thing with like Venus retrograde is one of the things that, will, that gets called into question is our values and like what and how we value things. And, you know, when we're looking at the overall um, political landscape of things, like how we communicate what we value and why we communicate it in those ways, and even potentially even getting into, like if we think about the Venus, um, like kind of mythological cycle and like the myth of Anana and like the descent into the underworld whenever Venus disappears and then reemerges as a morning star, right? Like. All of that um, participates in this, like, what is it that you actually value? And why, like, what is underneath the ways that you end up communicating, 
right? Like, are you really reactive whenever somebody brings up a particular topic and consciously you're just like, I don't know why I react that way whenever we talk about this, but it sucks. This Venus retrograde in Gemini is a good opportunity to dig into that because remember, Gemini is ruled by Mercury. Mercury is a psychopomp. Mercury can take us into those dark places safely and help us back out of it. Um, and so being able to articulate what's hand, what, like what's um, impacting those reactivities, that's, you know, find a good such therapist. A, <laughs> um, such the anonymous, such a great topic for this, especially because Mercury will be so intimately involved. Mm -hmm. Mercury will be in uh, Mercury's own uh, house and sign for a, a good deal of this. And so that myth is Persephone being kidnapped by Pluto, being taken to the underworld, uh, Ceres or Demeter, whichever uh, pantheon you want to pick, um, decides to just turn off vegetation until Jupiter can get uh, Persephone back. Um, the psychopomp Mercury is sent down to get her. There's a negotiation. We were talking about Libra. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a settlement and not everyone's thrilled with it, um, but, it, but it's how we have to work with things given the structures of power that we have. And that's right. going to be a theme of the summer and it's really going to be acute. This is happening right when the Democrats are going to pick a nominee and, and the plans are going to be put in place for the, uh, for the what's it called, the convention. Um, so it's, I mean, really, um, if you think back eight years, that was an election season too. Yeah. So just kind of think of some of your emotional, I'll tell you that I was a lot happier having Barack as the less avatar, but, uh, but yeah. no, he served and his I, two terms. And I just also want to insert like, so the Persephone myth is different from the anonymous myth, even though they have similar themes. So if people are interested in mythology, like the Inanna myth is much more about like kind of the personal transformative journey of Inanna as like queen of heaven going down and visiting her sister, Ereshkigal. But oh, that's being, right, yeah. Being stripped of all of her symbols of power in the process. Being rescued by the collaborative work of her best friend and her father in order to be sprung cleverly from Ereshkigal's meat hooks through finding compassion, like reflecting compassion towards Ereshkigal. Right. And then emerging from the underworld and realizing like, oh, this man I thought was my husband is actually just, you know, a piece of bullshit. Goodbye. Right. But, you know, if people want to investigate, like basically any myth that involves um, a figure descending into the underworld and reemerging, those mythologies are useful for comprehending retrogrades in general. So, right. The Illusion mysteries. Um, and uh, and that was a. Um, they, they took um, plant medicines as part of the uh, rites uh, for the Eleusian cult. Uh, so perhaps if you're in a place where, where it's available and of course legal, um, this might be an opportunity for you to get out in nature uh, during the spring season and uh, have yourself a journey into uh, the altered world. And see if maybe you can't pull something back that can't be useful for your community. Uh, all right. So I think we got Venus retrograde unless there's something else you want to get to. No, I think that's, I mean, the Kazemi is June 3rd. So that real intense kind of purification point, if you would like to do a thing, that would be the day to do a thing uh, related to this stuff. But yeah. My wife's birthday. Um, 
uh, a good omen, I hope. All right, so now we get to Mars retrograde. So the entire period with the shadow is the 25th of July to the 2nd of January, 2021. So July to January. We weren't kidding when we said this was like 450 days. Uh, this is a, a full five months, full on five months. It's in retrograde in Aries from 8 September to 14 November, which I'm sure everyone's been paying attention. Both of the conventions will be over and we will be in the thick of the election season during this retrograde. During retrogrades, we have an intensification of the symbolism of the planet. And in this case, we have Mars, the god of war, heating things up, dividing things in Mars's own cardinal sign of Aries. My key words for Aries is, ain't got no chill. People with lots of Aries in their chart often um, have a wellspring of, of energy, not the twitchy uh, mercurial energy, but the like go, go, go energy. Um, this is a super unusual retrograde for Aries to be retrograde in, um, for Mercury to be retrograde in Aries. Um, so first of all, this doesn't happen often. I'll, I'll give you an example. So 2001, 2003, 2005, 2007, it's irregular. It's not on normal intervals. But when you look specifically at um, when Mars has been in Aries, we go all the way back to 1941. This is marked by the Guernica massacre during World War II. And I'm not predicting massacres uh, because what we tend to see with uh, these retrogrades is in, a, in uh, a heating up of what's happening now. And then that was World War II. I'm going to assume we're going to have really intense, forceful interactions, perhaps violent, but they're going to be in the, uh, the arena of our election season here, different things, different places. But before that 1941 one, we go all the way back to 1862 to get a full retrograde in Aries. And after that, we go all the way to 2052 to get a full retrograde in Aries. Uh, periodically, between 1862 and 2020, we had three others where Mars retrograde hit Aries, but it wasn't just in Aries. It was either in Pisces or in Taurus also. So again, really uh, rare, um, not quite 100-year event taking place. And somehow I put this number three on my list. Yeah, this is why this was number two for me. And like in part, this is, you know, so Mars enters Aries right at the end of June, a couple of days after Venus stations direct. Um, but while Venus is still in her retrograde shadow, <laughs> um, Mars in Aries is berserker Mars, right? Mars in Aries is I want what I want and I'm going to get it. And uh, the ends justify the means. Um, this, I think is really, this is like a really key part of 2020 and going into 2021. Um, because also once Mars is out of Aries, it goes into Taurus and interacts with Uranus. <laughs> um, you know, we have a Mars Uranus conjunction in early 2021. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think that the, the important thing during this time on a personal level 
is to be aware of your inflammation. And I mean this literally and metaphorically. If you're someone that has inflammatory stuff happening in your physical system, you need to make sure that you are monitoring that. If you are someone that is quick to anger or quick to internalize anger, right? If you're someone that turns the knives inwards because you're afraid of turning the knives outwards, this is, this is a time to be aware of that pattern and to do what you can to mitigate it, to balance it. Um, one of the things about this particular retrograde is like this is happening while there's stuff still happening in Capricorn, which is a square <laughs> to Aries. Um, so those things that are hanging out in Capricorn, Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter, most notably, will be getting harshed <laughs> by Mars, not just the one time, but three times, right? Once whenever Mars is going forward in Aries, once whenever Mars is moonwalking backwards in Aries, and then once again when Mars is moving forwards, right? By the time Mars squares Jupiter again, Jupiter will be in Aquarius, I believe. I think Jupiter will have exited Capricorn, and so it will be... The um, third, yeah. Yeah, like the third time there's a Mars-Jupiter square. This time around, it will be from Taurus to Aquarius rather than from Aries to Capricorn. Um, so Mars square Saturn slamming on the brakes. Mm -hmm. Mars... We're trying to, hit, hit, trying to hit the brakes and the gas pedal at the same time. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I like to think of a Mars... Uh, Saturn conjunction as a bulldozer, like nothing's going to stop it. Mm -hmm. When we get these hard angles, it's, it's a uh, slant. Yeah. I like to think of you're going down the highway and you're already at a good clip, you know, Saturn just moving straight ahead, following the rules. All of a sudden, um, that's going to happen three times. And then Mars square Pluto, that's like triggering a bomb. You got all that intense energy packed in there and you add a dose of heat to it. Um, Mars squared Jupiter. I, I often think of Mars Jupiter um, contact as um, a warrior, right? So you have Jupiter, oftentimes the idea of the general, and Mars um, going into battle. Um, this is being called on um, to don the armor, um, like Mad Mardigan when he found the the armor when he was going to defend Willow at the end of the movie. <laughs> I don't get that reference. I but I would say this is also um the warrior face to face with the wiser general, like the warrior who just wants to slay shit. This is Achilles and Agamemnon. Nice. Right? Uh like this is like I am really pissed off about everything and I'm also really good at killing shit and well, but what about like our strategy here and trying to end this 10-year war? <laughs> that would be cute. Can we just use the strategy, please? Right? Um yeah, this is, this is significant. This is hot. This is itchy. This is unsatisfied and potentially unsatisfiable. Like one of the things with Mars, and I think especially with Mars and Aries, is desire itself being the motivating factor, not necessarily the satisfaction of the desire, but just the desire itself. And when I say desire, I don't just mean like, you know, hot, sexy time. Like this is also like the death drive. <laughs> Right. Or this is the like, I have so much energy. I just need to let it out. When it's retrograde, it's where the fuck am I going to let this out? Right. Frustration, 
is part of the experience here. Um, and the results of frustration, like how people lash out whenever they can't move forward in the way that they intend to or would prefer to. So I'd add along with that looking out for inflammation is this is a time when you, if you built up those resources, those ways in which you can deal with trouble, um, it's time to be armored up with that and ready to Im employ um, those types of resources. That this is why you did the work and why you prepared yourself for when things get tough. Yes. And I think, you know, one thing that's important to remember is like we practice these different forms of self-stability and self-care and community stability and community care. Um, knowing that if they're not in place when we need them, it's going to be bad. But when they are in place when we need them, it is less bad. Not that everything is going to be smooth, honey, and roses because you mastered life skills, right? But that it's, it's a positive, it's like, ideally, like the goal is net neutral. Net positive is great. Net negative is what's um, attempting to be mitigated by preparation. So in a birth chart, when you see squares, you often see where people have their greatest potential for growth and achievement. Mm -hmm. uh, Jessica Lignato put this fantastic about how the most successful people she knows have lots of squares in their birth charts. Whereas mm -hmm. when you see people with big fat trines, you get junkies. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not saying you're a junkie if you have a trine in your birth chart, uh, but I am affirming what Jessica's saying. This is the kind of situation that as my dad would put it, puts hair on your chest. You're eating something spicy to learn how it works on your tongue. You're, um, you're using those resources and overcoming challenges um, to grow as a human being. And you're gonna have lots of opportunities to do that this fall. Uh, only, only, only political talk I'm gonna get into here is that these squares that pop up, um, we're in a, a situation right here where um, Saturn at between 23 and 25, and really like 26, 20, uh, really 22 all the way through 25, because I don't think Saturn's getting past 22 and is retrograde in this part of the year. Mm -hmm. That's all opposing Donald Trump's 12th house Saturn-Venus conjunction. And so when we have these squares of Mars to Pluto at 22 Capricorn and to Saturn at 25, 24, 27 Capricorn, we're also forming a T-square of the two malefics to Donald Trump's most challenging placement in his chart. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of reasons for pessimism or a reason to not overinvest emotionally in optimism. This is a, a really challenging omen for any human being. And this is all going to be happening right before the election takes place. Right in the in the sinkhole of dear leaders chart so i'm not saying that we should wish ill will on anyone but if we look at the omens in the sky we see that ill will is on its way for someone it's not cute and i also um i also want to point out that um like what Demetra george shared um in an astrology university podcast that she did recently with tony talking about looking at political leaders charts 
and how like one idea that I forget if it comes from the Sumerians or the Babylonians, can't remember, but that whenever somebody becomes a leader of a nation, their birth chart becomes the chart of the nation, right? Yeah. So things that we perceive to potentially impact that individual leader might not impact that individual in a clear way that we can perceive publicly, but we will be able to see traces of that happening on a national scale, right? So things fucking up Trump are things that are also kind of um, smacking around the United States as a whole for as long as Trump is the elected leader of this country. Um, so again, you know, keeping your eyes open, keeping your eyes peeled, like, especially when we look at like a Saturn Venus conjunction in the 12th, which is what um, President 45 has, um, in the 12th house, I mean, it's like what aspects of repression of actual values and actual connectivity are being called to task and the impacts of that repression emerging in um, potentially like an inflammatory zit kind of way so that we can actually deal with the underlying structural problems. Beautifully said. Um, we'll have lots of hairy chess after. Yeah. So much character building. <laughs> right, Gross. right. You're from um, the Midwest, right? <laughs> <laughs> Protestant work ethic all the way. All right, final thing I wanted to discuss, and it was uh, one of my last ones, was the um, Jupiter-Saturn conjunction that takes place late in December. Mm -hmm. um, this is happening in Aquarius. I'm not going to get into a transference of the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction moving into an air sign. If you're interested in that topic, Austin Kopic has more information on it than anyone else, and he's great at it, and go listen to him. It's <laughs> happening at one degree Aquarius, which is also where the fixed star Altair lives. Mm -hmm. um, it's also where uh, Elizabeth Warren's Jupiter is and where Pete Buttigieg's Venus is. Um, so th this conjunction at a place where Saturn and Jupiter are going to be spending a lot of time and at some point making a square to Mars are all spots that are incredibly prominent in some of the um, top prospects for the Democratic ticket, right, right where they live. Um, now, I know that this is angular in Pete's chart. We don't have a time for Liz, uh, but <laughs> irrespective, it's going to be acute. This is uh, an 18 to 20 year time period. So if you're not familiar with Jupiter-Saturn, it's really when eras start and end. So we had, <clears throat> Uh, I'll just go to the 1900s, 1901, 1921, 1940, um, 1961, 1980, um, 2000. So it's every 20 years. Some weird uh, between times I put in there for no reason. Um, and if you reflect on those time periods, they really bracket out um, styles, how we conducted business, the way life lived. If you just go between 1960 to 1980, 1980 to 2000. Those are really distinctive eras in our modern history that they can be clearly delineated. 
So we're looking at, again, in this next year, an epochal turning point that's going to take place, the resetting of our era with this uh, Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, hitting two prominent uh, prospects for the Democratic ticket, also right on fixed our Altair. Mm -hmm. um, Diana, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. I feel like it's such a big transition, right? Like none of us currently alive were alive whenever the Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions were in their previous setup, right? Like their previous elemental setup. None of us mm -hmm. will be alive whenever they are in their next elemental setup. Um, so it's one of those things where it's like trying to see the edges of the ocean whenever we're in the inside of it, <laughs> like in the center. Um, but in general, it's like, so Saturn Pluto at the beginning of the year and then Saturn Jupiter at the end of the year, I feel like this is, um, this is really emblematic of what Richard Tardis calls the Kairos moment that we are living through apocalypse, right? Where it's like, the um, the very constrictive, painful, challenging, like where the fuck is the light at the end of the tunnel sensation that can come with Saturn Pluto. And then at the end, it's just like, oh, there's the fucking light. Like here's Jupiter on Saturn where it's like, it's not like everything turns into like, again, it's not sunshine and roses. Saturn is involved. It's happening in the Saturn world sign. But Jupiter's involvement is like, now we get to anticipate the future. And instead of it being a fear of the future, it really is an anticipation. And I really love this as a bookend <laughs> to 2020. Um, because 2020 is like, we just talked about all of this, like, oh my gosh, right? Like have your skills ready, have your survival skills, have your emotional stability skills, call your friends, actually call your friends, call your friends, they love you. Um, you know, and then at the end, it's like, oh, there's potential for a new way to actually do this stuff, this like human civilization stuff. And it's not necessarily gonna be the um, skyrocketing quote unquote progress that we've been experiencing in this industrial era, but it can be better socially, which is kind of what I think Aquarius speaks to. I would add that this is gonna be a time period where we're going to take all this stuff that we've developed during these earth years, mm -hmm. and we're going to intellectually interact with the resources we've developed and, and make some rules for how we want to live with them. Yeah. Think about the best ways to apply them. And I think in its best light, that's what Aquarius is great at. I personally am very excited for Saturn to get into Aquarius. I like to think about things. Um, I bet you are. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this whole generation of astrologers I, I've grown to love all, are, are all going through their Saturn return at the same time. Um, it hurts. It hurts. It physically hurts. To quote, <laughs> to quote or paraphrase one of my favorite astrologers, um, Kelly Lee Phipps, who is of blessed memory. Saturn rules Aquarius, just like Saturn rules Capricorn, because Saturn is the time lord. You can't give Saturn the past, Capricorn, without giving Saturn the future, Aquarius. So Saturn takes 
ideas that. and crystallizes them. It, it plots a course. It thinks about how to get the water from one place to another to serve humanity. Now, there's going to be some good ideas to bad ideas. We can think of uh, making a pipeline from the Great Lakes to feed all the old people in Arizona. Um, or we can think about the idea of using um, the incredible technological resources that have been developed over the last eon and making them serve people, not just capital, right. not just the structures that already exist. And not just people serving technology, but technology serving yes. people, especially since like, you know, this is getting into 2021 now, but Saturn and Jupiter will end up in a square to Uranus in 2021. Right. And like more than one <laughs> square to Uranus. Um, and that tension between our relationship with revolution and our relationship with structures that will endure, right? Our relationship to the earth, which Uranus and Taurus has been very much highlighting, right? And how that relationship with the earth participates in our relationships with people, <laughs> right? Like those are all things that are coming up to the surface for us to navigate. Um, and the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius is the, you know, it's, it, it's kind of like if Saturn-Pluto is like, where the fuck is the light at the end of the tunnel? Saturn-Jupiter is the door opens at the end of the tunnel. And we can actually see that there is a door. Right? And, yeah. And yeah. how do you think about it? How do we put it in place? Uh, mm -hmm. And we're also getting out of a period where so much emphasis was on the cardinal signs, mm -hmm. the get up and go signs, and it's going to go into the fixed sign, mm -hmm. the places where our structures have been existing. Maybe we need to rethink where these boundaries are, where we want to head, which direction we want to go to. There's going to be face... Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> There's going to be disruption then with, with Taurus in that fixed value, those things held in place, what we find comforting, what we find delicious. Um, it, it's, it's heading right at us. And we, again, we're all going to have a lot of hair in our chest by the time we get there. Um, but, but it's clear uh, in the skies. Yeah. And I think this is also um, like one of the things that Saturn teaches us is that in order to build the future, we have to acknowledge where we are now. What is the reality of now? That fixity is we are here. This is the reality that we are within. Being in this reality doesn't mean it's the only possible, like doesn't mean this reality is going to be the only reality forever, but we cannot build what's next if we don't know where the fuck we are. Right, you cannot make dinner if you don't know if you have all the ingredients for to make dinner. <laughs> that that was wonderful. I think you did a great job, Diana. I love having you on. Um, hopefully, we get you on a few more times as this next year progresses. Before I it's, it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee. <laughs> Before we sign off, I would love you uh, to take one more opportunity to mm -hmm. tell people how they can find you. Yeah. So I am on Instagram and I am on Twitter. And I'm on Patreon. And at all of those places, my handle is Damashena. That is spelled D-D-A-M-A-S-C-E-N-A-A. -A -A. Um, my website is that same phrase, Damashena, that same word, I should say, uh, .com. You can also go to Diana, with one N, roseharper.com. Find me that way. Um, 
I live in Los Angeles. I teach classes in Los Angeles. I also like to travel to teach classes. So if you live someplace and you can guarantee that I will make at least as much money as it costs for me to get there, I will come to you. Um, and I will also be speaking at NORWAC, the Northwest Yay. Astrological Conference, at the end of May 2020, in the midst of that juicy Venus <laughs> time. Um, so if you're an astrologer and you are trying to get into more into the community, especially if you're a newer astrologer or you've been a shy astrologer, NORWAC is, I mean, I've only been to two two kinds of conferences. I've been to UAC and I've been to Norwalk. I fucking love Norwalk. Norwalk is amazing. I strongly recommend it. It's in beautiful Washington state near the Yay. city of Seattle and also and, near beautiful Tacoma. Tacoma. That's right. Yep. <laughs> um, super highly, strongly recommend that. Um, yeah, I don't know. You can sign up for my newsletter. If you sign up for my newsletter, you will get news sometimes. It's great. <laughs> Guys. Diana is queen. Um, you know that I love all of you, and many of you are my favorites. But Diana is is uh, the Mount Rushmore of upcoming astrologers. Oh my gosh, period, stop. Period, end of sentence. I want no more from her. Her uh. modesty's fine, but let's, let's <laughs> skip the false modesty. <laughs> You're the best kid, best, best astro dad that ever did exist, so thank you. And remember... A little nonsense now and then is relished by the wisest men.